Good morning. My name is Jerry Curran. This is the second time I've had the joy of being with you, and I'm glad to be back. My wife Sandy's here uh, this morning. Uh, you caught us at a good time. Uh, next Friday and Saturday, we're loading up and moving back to North Carolina. And Sarah, if your parents are going to North Carolina, remember it's the closest you can get to heaven <laughs> on earth. And so I'm glad they're doing that. In fact, I'd love to talk with you about your parents. We need some great uh, men with interim pastor ministries with whom I work because we have a shortage. We have more requests from churches uh, needing our services than uh, we have uh, good men because we have high standard and a lot of training. And uh, so you might pray about that. There's more need than we can meet right now. And so we're recruiting. And so let me talk to you. Uh, so this will be our, our, our last time here in Maryland for a while. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, diversity in the church. Not division, not disunity, but diversity. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, Paul talks a lot in 1 Corinthians about this subject. He said there are different kinds of gifts in the church, in the body of Christ, but one Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working of the Holy Spirit, but the same God works all of them in everybody. The body is a unit made up of many parts. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So he keeps talking about the unity of the body of Christ, which is New Testament talk for the church. Church means in Greek, uh, ecclesia, ecclesia. You get the word ek, expectorant. <laughs> you cough and get something out. And, uh, and the other word ekklesia comes from kaleo, means to call. And so the church is a group of people that are called out from what? From the world, which is those who don't believe in God. And this is a gathering of people who do believe in God. And then if we come together, not just through our belief, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, and when one uh, becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ through a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, that person is born from above and then is immersed and kind of welded. The Bible calls it baptism uh, mysteriously and invisibly into this invisible group of people called the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And therefore, through that melding, they're all part of one group of people. That unity is organic and essential and eternal and total. And yet, within that unity, God has created uh, diversity. Because he says uh, there are different people in the church. With, well, we know we have different personalities and two genders and different backgrounds and upbringing. But not only that, there's a diversity of gifting. The Holy Spirit actually gives people gifts in addition to their talents and their life experiences and their passions and gives them what's called spiritual gifts. And they're different, and they operate differently. But when they work together, they create a functioning body of Christ. But we are a fallen people, meaning we have sinned against God and broken his law or not conformed to it. And it has an impact on our minds and our hearts and even our bodies. That's why in the last month, you know, at age 70, I had my uh, eye lenses replaced. 
you know, 70 years was long enough, so I went and got some new ones. That sounds strange, doesn't it? It was a strange experience when this big laser machine comes up and goes, and carves out your old lens, and they put a new one in. And uh, that lens, that eye, had a job. It was part of my body, but it's not a foot. It's not a hand. And so each, but because of our fallen nature, it affects our body. And I had to have my lenses replaced. And thank God there was such an opportunity. I've also had a hip replaced. So uh, I'm good for another, what, 70,000 miles? And uh, it affects our body, but it affects our minds and our hearts. And what God intended for good, diversity, can end up creating problems. Disunity and miscommunication. Because we think, well, our part of the body is the most important. And yet it all has to work together. So Christians often have to hold things in tension. You know, God calls us, but we must believe, you see. And then his greatest joke was creating two sexes, you know, so totally different that they cannot exist in the same ecosystem. And yet they do, you see. So Christians are called to hold in tension these things, diversity, but unity. And so uh, Paul actually talks about here, where did I start here? In the book of, uh, or the letter called Philemon in your Bible, which is a short, private, personal letter. Now it's public. From Paul to a man named Philemon whose slave Onesimus had run away to Rome where Paul was, and Paul had led him to Christ. He'd become a Christian, but Onesimus had stolen money, so Paul sends him back. And he says to his owner, Philemon, who was a Christian, please forgive him. But in that letter, there's a church meeting in Philemon's home, his compound, you see, because there's a lot of people there with multiple, uh, multiple uh, stages of family and servants and slaves, and a lot of people. There was a church that met there. And he talks about there, he talks about friends, friendship based on common interests. Then he talks about friendship. Um, uh, a fellowship based on common ministry. Then he says there are fellow workers. We work together. Then he says there are fellow soldiers, people who are called upon not to get involved in the affairs of the world, but be sent where they are sent and serve God full time. And then he comes down, though, and he says to Philemon, if you consider me a partner, well, there's friendship and there's fellowship and there's fellow worker and there's fellow soldier, all these great uh, uh, responsibilities and duties going on in the church. But then he pulls out this term, partner. And a partner is someone who is vested, who has invested and bought a share. And now their mind, their emotions, uh, their business, uh, their future is tied to the success of that country, company. If it profits, they share in the profit. If the stock value goes down, they suffer loss. If the company is sued, they are named as an owner. You see, they're invested, they're a partner. And he actually says to Philemon, we're partners. Not just friends and fellowship and fellow workers and your son, Archippus, is a fellow soldier, but we're partners in this ministry. Now, that's got to be one of the highest levels of designation of, of compliment. But he goes further, which is what amazes me. 
He says in the uh, letter to the Philippian church uh, in Philippi, he says, um, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He actually says the church, and this is, a, this is addressed to all the saints at Philippi together with the elders and deacons. And he says, you guys are partners with me. Well, how do they become partners? He refers here to one way. They were, they were partners in ministry and partners in investing in mission. And he says, um, in the early days you were acquaintance with the gospel when I set out for Macedonia, not one church partnered me in the matter of giving and receiving. How about that? They partnered with him in uh, mission, because they in ministry, because he led them to Christ, and then he partnered with them in uh, ministry, in mission, let's say, ministry and then mission. Because it says in Acts 16, when they left Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. And Paul says in the book of Philippians, you sent me money so I could minister full time in Thessalonica. And you read in Acts 16 and then 17, Paul was working full time in the, in the synagogue, talking to people and discussing and explaining to them about Jesus Christ and the gospel. He was able to do that because this nation, brand new birth church <clears throat> in Philippi was sending him financial support so that he could work as a soldier full time and not be involved in the affairs of the world, making tents or leather goods or something like that. Well, the question is, how does a whole church, <coughs> excuse me, how does a whole church reach this high pinnacle of being called a partner? in the gospel with the Apostle Paul. Because I want to be a partner with the leadership in my church. I want to be a fellow laborer. I want to have friends. I want to have fellowship. But I, I'd love to be called a partner in the work. That, that's a pretty high level. How did the church in Philippi become designated as a partner in the gospel? Well, let's see. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's see when the foundation was laid, what was the church about? And that's laid out for us descriptively in Acts chapter 16. And uh, I'm going to start at verse uh, 11. Is this up there? And we're calling it Lydian Gospel Change, Acts 6, 6 through 15. Do you have the text on the slide? Look at this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Asia was east, Asia Minor. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, east. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, which is on the coast. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, which is west. This is Greek was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we set out into Macedonia, concluding, it, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, which is an island, and the following day to Neapolis, which is the coastal city. 
and from there inland to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, remained in this city some days. In his sovereignty, God the Holy Spirit has directed these soldiers, these initial missionaries, west instead of east. Now stop and consider the implications of that for you and me. Because we, if you haven't noticed, we live in the West and we are children of the West. Christendom, it has been called. And it had its genesis in this movement from going East to going West. Now why did God do that? Does anyone know? I don't. Because the Germanic tribes were barbarians and murderers and, you know, uh, the Roman emperor, or what was his name? Uh, Vinny Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. Have you read that book? The, uh, he, he just has a description in there about the Westerners, and it was pretty bad. Well, these were our ancestors. And yet, tribe after tribe, what we call now a nation, was converted to the gospel, and that became Christendom. And this was in the sovereignty of God, and we don't know why he did that. My point being, it wasn't because they were more sophisticated. At that point in time, most civilization and sophistication was east, not west. But this is what God decided to do, and it had a small beginning. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate of the city to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. The Jewish law was that if you had ten families, ten uh, male head members, you could start a synagogue. So if you didn't have that many Jews, then you would meet in a place uh, on the Sabbath for prayer. And that was usually down by the river for some reason. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, a God-fearer. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said, or as a, another translation has it, to respond to Paul's message. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged us to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This was the beginning of this church in Philippi. It was Lydia coming to a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was the beginning of Paul's missionary activity in the West, in mainland Greece, we would call it today. And from there we get a uh, letter to the Romans, uh, Corinth, and all these other uh, towns that were converted. So I want, let's look into this passage in Acts 16, and we're going to look at it on a personal basis, how did Lydia come to the Lord? Because we believe, it says in Romans, that God gave to the Jews the very words of God. And we also believe that all scripture is God-breathed. God used human ability and personality to write down his revelation, but he did so in little packets of information called words. And he inspired, he breathed out through these writers the very words themselves. So this lady, Lydia is an interesting lady. My first grandchild daughter is named Lydia. And uh, so we tell her about Lydia, which I'm about to tell you this morning. 
so that she has a pattern to live. So Paul goes down there and he, he shares the gospel. And so I've got an outline for you how the gospel found Lydia, you see. And it says here, she was down there minding her own business, fearing God and praying, and these guys show up and they start sharing about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos in Greek. And the Lord opened her heart to believe Paul's message. Now, we see who's the instigator there. God is. Well, why did her heart need to be open? Because her heart was closed. Her heart was hard. Her mind was darkened. Her will was unchanged. She was what is called a sinner. And sin is any breaking of God's law or failing to obey God's law. And so we're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the result is dark minds and hard hearts. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't shine a light in our ear and lighten our own brains up. We can't soften our own hearts because it's part of us. And so when it says here that God opened her heart, softened her heart, that was a work of God, you see. So how did the gospel uh, come to Lydia? God purposed it. Well, more than this. Here's this band, this apostolic band sharing the gospel, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit says you can't go east. You must go west. And they're saying, well, where are we supposed to go? And so he gave Paul a dream. A man of Macedonia, come over here and help us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is working overtime. I'm going to stop them and I'm going to direct them. And so they went. Why? Because there's this one person whom God had elected, chosen before the foundation of the world that she should be his child. And he took an apostolic band and turned them. And they went down there and there was Lydia. The gospel found Lydia because God purposed it. It was God's plan the same way it was with Pharaoh. I raised you up for this purpose. So I want you to think, first of all, people matter to God. You matter to God. If necessary, he'll send a whole apostolic band to meet you where you are to make sure you hear and understand the gospel if he, if he has chosen you. And who, but notice another thing. He used means. Why couldn't he have used a dream to tell Lydia the way he used a dream to tell Paul? Why couldn't he have sent an angel? He could have done any of those things. <clears throat> He chose to use a human being, and that's the purpose of the church on this earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. That's our job. That's what Paul was doing, and that's how the message got to Lydia. So you see, the sovereignty of God directs the band. Paul shares the message, and then God uses that in her mind and her heart. But notice, I want you to see the pro progression here. I have it for you. How did it come to her? It began with her mind, affected her heart, and transformed her life. Because uh, it, it says here uh, uh, very clearly, um, we began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of them, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. The gospel first came to her mind 
We can do all the good works and all the social work and show our love to our community, but unless we say the words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard the message, but notice that didn't change her heart. The Holy Spirit used the message, opened her heart so that she could understand it and then respond to it. Comes through the ear, goes into the brain. But what is that, 16 inches? The Holy Spirit had to open her heart to understand and receive the message. So our job is to build friendships and then seek opportunity to share the message and then we leave the results to God. He uses that to change people. Isn't that what happened to you if you were a believer in Jesus Christ? Weren't you somehow attracted or someone reached out to you? And then someone shared the message and then it started making sense. And you thought, my goodness, I'm pretty smart. I figured this out. Not many people do that. Many people say, wait a minute, all of a sudden this is making sense. You know, and then something said, I want this. What must I do to be saved? See, that's God working in a person's heart. But it begins before, it's his purpose at work, and then it begins when his people start sharing the word. And then that word works. See how it worked in Lydia's life? God inspired this story. God breathed it, wrote it down, so that we could say, okay, this is how a church starts. Because look what happened then. How the gospel changed Lydia's life and church. So let's, let's break it down, okay? Let me see what the words I've got here. Um, so what did Lydia do? The Lord opened her heart to understand and obey the message. And after she was baptized, I give it to you there, the first thing is she was obedient. That's the first mark of someone who has heard and responded to the gospel. John said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Again in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So the first thing that Lydia and her household did when they heard the message and respond to it was get baptized. Because Paul said, go into, uh, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As soon as she understood that, she said, Paul, we want to be baptized. So the first thing, as evidence of her conversion, was the obedience of getting baptized. Now, it could demonstrate it in other ways. It could be the obedience of praying, of reading your Bible, of giving to the church, of attending worship. That obedience can be exhibited in many different ways. For her, it was being baptized. There was no church service to go to, you see. She got baptized. Her obedience demonstrated that her life had been changed. And the second thing is that uh, she was hospitable. I give you that word. I, I like this. She said, after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me, be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Now, here's this apostolic band, four, six, eight. 
And they had found the commendation and said they had been in the city several days. But she says, I got this big house. Come and stay with me. It was her first reaction. Her, well, her first was to get baptized. Her second was to say, come and stay with me. The hospitality. Now, this church became the first church that financially supported Paul when he went to Thessalonica. I think there's a connection between hospitality and generosity. I think if you get into patterns of saying, God has blessed me, let me share it. It can be your home, it can be a meal, it can be your time. It could also be your money. This is how the seed was planted to make Philippi, one of Paul's favorite churches that he loved so much because they were first of all obedient to the gospel, but then they were hospitable. They were generous. It was the first Lydia set the pattern and it spread to the whole church. And all the people that came to the Lord in Philippi, they understood this is how you obey Christ. You get baptized and you open your home up. And then by extension, Paul let us send you some money. What we've got, we want to share. This is how a church becomes a partner. Now, I put down here that this new Christian, Lydia, was persuasive. Because Paul says, no, I don't think it's a good idea to go to your house. I mean, you're a widow living there, and we're about four, six, eight men from out of town. That's not a good look. Okay, we're just going to stay down at the hotel. Lydia is this uh, independently operating businesswoman. And she urged us, you see that? She urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She turned it on. Well, now I believed what you preached. I've gotten baptized. And now you're turning down my invitation? If your gospel is true, if the baptism took hold, if your ministry is valid and my life has been changed and my household has been baptized, you need to come on over to my house. And I love what the author, uh, Luke, says, and he says, she prevailed upon us. I like the other translation better. She persuaded. Folks, I love that story. Can you see Lydia with Paul the Apostle, much her superior in calling and learning and ability, and this whole apostolic band, and she persuaded them. She prevailed upon them. I don't think that's what the church needs to do. Oh, I'm not interested in the gospel. I've got, I've got questions. I've got a problem with this. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's think through the historicity and the manuscript evidence for the New Testament account of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about is it possible to receive information from God. Let's talk about it. You know, let's lay it out there. Uh, you know, you're a thinking person. You can read. I got a little booklet here. Would you be willing to work it? She worked it. She was not going to stop until she was able to fulfill her ministry. She was persuasive. I love to see churches and Christians that work at it, 
to learn to be persuasive. Sanya and I were on crew staff. We worked in college and we were on crew staff. We can't tell you the amount of training we took. How to open conversation a dozen different ways. How to go through the gospel. How to make transitions to the gospel. How to challenge a person to accept Christ. What to do if they say no or yes. You know, countless training so that now we feel confident in being able to share. I can share with a fence post. I've been everywhere in the world, different languages and uh, beaches and cities and uh, the head of the religion department in Romania, you know, in his big office there, and that we did in French, which is weird. We feel that we can persuade. Maybe you need some training. Maybe you like to say, well, how do I open a conversation? Uh, how do I answer objections? How do I ask for the business? How do I say, are you willing to consider Jesus? Are you ready to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior? You, you would like to know how to do it, you see. They're persuasive. But let me uh, rush along here. I say that they were courageous. You can read the rest of what happened in, in 16. Uh, there's a story that Paul is going around and preaching and teaching, and there's this young girl but with some handlers. She has a spirit. She can predict the future. There you go. There's something for you to research and ponder. And she's following Paul around saying, here's the people that speak for God. It went on for days. And Paul said, I can't share the gospel because now she's become the big attraction instead of the gospel. So he said, spirit, come out of her. And he did. And there went their prophet. And they got mad about it. And they caused a riot. And they put him in jail. No, no, that. They beat him up real good. He said they, they beat them uh, harshly. I don't know if it was a cat of nine tails or with lictors or whatever. Then they put him in this inner dungeon and it was dark. And in the middle of the night they're singing songs, Christian songs. Earthquake came, doors flew open, chains fell off. The jailer looked in there and grabbed the sword. He's going to kill himself. Paul said, don't do that, we're all still here. And the guy came in and fell down and said, what must I do to be saved? And he got saved, and he and all his family were baptized. In the middle of the night, he takes them to his house, and he gently cleans and washes all these wounds. And the next morning, the magistrates say, look, let him go. Paul says, we're Roman citizens. You didn't even give us a trial. You come down here in person and get us out of jail. And scared to death, because you don't do that to Roman citizens, they came down there and took them out, and they said, please leave our town. But here's... Uh, the officers reported this to the magistrates and they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were alarmed. They came to appease them, escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And Paul and Silas came out of prison. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the church and encouraged them. Then they left. I don't know about you, but I'd be tempted to skip that church meeting. Here's this band of people that they caused a riot, and the magistrates put them, beat them and put them in jail. I don't want to be associated with these people. You know, that, they, they, they'll get you in trouble. Paul, you need to get out of town. Lydia says, come to my house. You need to rest. You need some food. You need to tend those wounds in your back. And so Paul didn't run. He went to her house, and the whole church gathered 
and he encouraged them. They were courageous folks. Those early Christians were courageous. Um, I told you that they were obedient. They were hospitable. Romans 12, 13 says, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality, Romans 12, 13. Uh, they were persuasive, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. But listen to what it says in Judges 5.21. March on, my soul, be strong. In Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And Paul was shipwrecked in Acts 27, and he said to them, Keep up your courage, for I have faith in God. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. So how did Philippi become known as a partner with Paul? I think it started with Lydia. Because Lydia demonstrated obedience and hospitality and persuasiveness and courage. That's how you become a partnering church with the gospel. Lydia is the example, this nascent church, this, this seed being planted in Europe, in Western Europe. And it's all epitomized in Lydia's response to the gospel. You see, God cared about Lydia, and he made sure she heard the gospel. But then he made sure that the Holy Spirit worked in her mind and her heart. But he also made sure that a seed was planted for a pattern for the church to follow. If you want to be a partner in the gospel, be obedient. Be hospitable and generous. Be persuasive. But most of all, be courageous. Because the gospel changes people and families, and communities, and nations, and continents. And any kind of change means loss. These merchants lost the profits from this girl. So everybody opposes change, even good change. So there will be pushback. But without light, the darkness is doomed. Without the Holy Spirit, hard hearts will never be softened. Without our obedience and hospitality and persuasiveness and courage that Paul was demonstrating as he traveled and Lydia caught, the gospel won't have a seedbed to grow. So Philippi, the Philippians, were partners in ministry, in mission, and even in mistreatment. They had these characteristics of a partner church. I would challenge you to ask God to work in this church to make it your goal to be a partner in the gospel. As some of the things I've heard this morning describe that you already are. Let me close this in prayer a minute. Father, we thank you for your work in these people's lives. We thank you for your work in Lydia's life and in this new church. 
We pray, Father, that you would give it as an example to us to follow. We ask it in Christ's name.